what's up, playboy? What it do, baby? What it do, baby? Dry heat paw back again. Damn, bro. I'm sorry, man. I, I honestly thought that a lot more news would break last week. So I was when I sent that to you, I was like, yeah, this will happen in a few days. So. Yeah, no, like when you first had the idea, you know, let's wait till the, the KD news breaks to run a pod one way or the other. It's like, I don't know, maybe it's just the uh, Twitter attention spans we have, but, it, you know, they made it seem like it was going to happen, like, if not that day, tomorrow. So it felt, a nev- it felt like it was happening like 72 hours max. I was like, okay, here we go. But not yeah, to be. And then two weeks, two weeks plus later, still nothing. Still nothing, dude. And I'm tired of listening to fucking ESPN every goddamn day saying absolutely nothing continuously. So today's the day for the DHP, Big Dog. And I'm excited about it. I think we're on 46. Is that right? 46 or 47. I'd have to check. All right. But still, man, we're crushing it out here. We're crushing it out here. How was your weekend? Good weekend? Yeah, solid solid weekend. Went uh, golfing with Benny and some of the boys, Colin and Steve. So uh, just kind of a chill chill weekend. What about you? Good weekend, bro. I was in Chicago for the birthday and uh, raged a little bit before I see you guys. Uh, yeah, of weekend. course. Happy birthday. Yeah, thanks, bro. What was it, Friday? Uh, Saturday? Saturday. Saturday, Saturday bro. Yeah. I mean, you know, man, you led the charge there. Uh, they, yeah, they, they, that's they kind of my thing. That's my thing. <laughs> it's. <laughs> I feel like whenever I have a doubt if, about like when birthday is, or if I like have a notification pop up, I'm like, oh, I just like Alec knows. Alec knows his birthday is. <laughs> it's difficult to keep up, man. So you're doing the boys a service for sure. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, someone's got to do it. Hell yeah, brother! And so let's start. Let's start with D backs, actually. Since you were at the game recently, you were at the game yesterday, no? Yeah, yesterday. What do you, Alec? Alec. So let me just ask you this, man. The D backs, they played the Giants, right? They were going for the sweep. And that would have been three W's versus the Giants. They end up falling short. But considering we only had two W's versus the Giants all year last year, obviously a little bit different of a Giants team last year. Buster Posey not being on the team seems extremely impactful at this point for them. Um, but, I mean, the D-backs were looking good. It's like, okay, like we got a lot of Giants games coming up. Like we look like we match up well. But the Colorado Rockies are a different story now for some reason. D-backs have lost four versus them in the last couple of weeks all by one run including the game last night. Alec, what do we chalk that up to? Slash, what's how are the Rockies better, worse matchup than the Giants for the D-backs? What's up with that? Yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate. It seems like that early season kind of surprising hype that we had where we were winning a bunch of games, kind of staying above slash around 500 is uh, not the team that, you know, not the true team. And it seems like we're kind of regressing to our true selves. That being said, to lose three of four to the Rockies and now be tied for last place in the NL West is pretty shocking. And it seems like we have this trend where we, you know, we can actually compete against some of these better teams sometimes and, you know, it gives us some sense of hope. And then we play these terrible teams like the Rockies, the Detroit Tigers took the series from us. The Reds constantly dominate us. So it's like these bottom tier teams just feast against the D-backs, which is not a recipe for success. But, you know, I got to tell you, I think you or maybe it was Ben, but somebody shared the uh, series info from this last Rocky series over the weekend. And the D-backs on paper were better in every single category, pretty much ERA, you know, runners in scoring position, batting average, all that kind of stuff. And yet we still lost. So part of me wants to chalk it up to just the D-backs are a sad team, but part of me wants to, you know, question whether or not that's a managerial issue or a coaching staff issue, because how do you have those stats and lose three of four? 
that seems like a situational problem. So I don't know. It's still fun to be at the game with Benny. It's still always a great time at the ballpark, but yeah, this team's just been disappointing of late and I don't really know what to do to correct it or if you even can correct it. What about you? Yeah. Shout out to Ben there for throwing in that Rocky stat. Um, that was a heck of a stat. Great poll. I'm not sure exactly where you found that. Um, but it was uh, three one three wins of four for the Rockies. Their starting pitcher ERA is five seven nine. Our D backs was three two eight. That's significant. Relief pitching ERA for the Rockies three two seven. D backs two three eight. Batting average with runners in scoring position one eighty eight for the Rockies, three thirteen for the D backs. Extremely significant statistical differences there that should all be heavy for the D-backs. But then, like you said, you point to the manager, and truthfully, I think Lavelle has done, like, fine this year, you know, in comparison to other years. But, I mean, we've talked about before, he's not a positive. Maybe he's neutral. Maybe he's slightly negative. I think both of us would agree that he's a major negative, many a game, depending on the game and neutral when he's at his best. Um, but two things to come to mind. Last night's game, I mean, Luvello, I don't know what you're doing there. Um, yeah, I don't know what he was doing there. And then the other day, Peralta um, subbing him out for a pinch hitter for Jordan Luplo made no sense in the bottom of the ninth. No sense. I think that was the Giants game. And there's been a few other things, but like the loop low Peralta switch just made absolutely no sense simply because even if you were to pinch hit for David Peralta in the bottom of the night situation, it, the person you don't go to is the dude who's batting 0.050 in late inning critical hitting situations. And in fact, only has three hits in, uh, I believe it was 18, 18 at bats is what that works out to. Which is just like, that's not the guy. Like, don't go to Lupla. Like, I get that he hits bombs. And, he, and plus, like, he hits bombs or nothing. So, it's just, like, not it. That's the one that comes to mind as, like, the most prime example of just the mismanagement by Tory. Um, also, funny enough, that reliever that he did that for actually gives up a 444 average to lefties, which, you know, obviously David Peralta is the lefty in that situation. So, it just, like, makes no sense. Um and then what was the situation last night that Lou Velo did? I'm, I'm blanking off the top of my head right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday we had a, we brought up Tyler Gilbert for his first start. I think of this season, he had been in the minors um, at least for the most of the year before this. And uh, you know, not, not an ace by any stretch, but he was pitching very well. He was throwing a shutout through six innings, had allowed three hits, had two outs in the inning and a guy got a, a double off of him, and Lavillo immediately goes to the pen for some reason. Tyler is at, I think, like 85 pitches at the time. Yeah. You know, three just hits, throwing shutout it out to six. Gilbert, three hits shutout in the sixth at like 85 pitches, and Lavillo goes to the pen. Was yeah. what you and then there's, me. Yeah, but then there's like other times where, you know, there will be a starter who's clearly laboring at like 105 pitches and he'll leave him in. So I just don't know like what his philosophy is. It just doesn't seem consistent. So he goes to the pen and, uh, you know, the guy he brings in getting out of it gets an out, but the uh, pitch he got an out on was an absolute liner that I think either Perdomo or maybe it was Walker on that side of the field had to snag and make this great defensive play. Otherwise I was for sure going to score the run. And, you know, I almost wished it had just to be like, you know, a consequence of Lavula, what are you doing? So it worked out okay, but it's just why, you know, why would you, why would you go to your pen in that situation? He's not been hit hard. It's the third hit of the game and he's at 85 pitches. I mean, so just stuff like that, you know, it, it really worries you. And it's like you said, he hasn't been terrible this year. There's obviously instances you can point to where it's like, oh, that was not great. But overall he hasn't been as bad as his previous seasons. But again, you know, it's, it's at his best, he seems like a neutral, and at his worst, he's a sharp negative. And it's just like you want a manager that minimizes the negative impacts, and also you want a manager that can actually add something where it's like that was a great decision and that won them the game. And it just feels like with Lavulo, that's never the case. It's either he didn't negatively impact the game, which is our best case scenario, or he negatively impacts it. 
100%. I mean, even to the point, I mean, let's touch on this. Joe Mantiply, all-star. The Mantis, D-back solo all-star. I mean, a dude who's been dominating all season. We'll get into how jacked we are for him. But, I mean, how many times does Tori Lovella just throw Mantiply? Like, it seems like every game. It's kind of hilarious. And not that that's, like, a bad move, but at some point, like, just spamming the bullpen is just going to lead to disaster, as it did in, I think, that one of the Giants games. And it's like, you know, Mantiply giving up one home run all season. It's like, not whatever for Mantiply, but it's like Luvella. It's like, dude, you can't just throw Mantiply and no way. And, like, you can't throw those guys every game. And so. Yeah. Yeah, but no, for Joe sure. Joe Mantiply, baby, all-star for the D-backs. I mean, having a career year, but also having, like, a historic season as a bullpen arm. Are we excited for him? How do we feel about kind of no Zach Gallen, no Christian Walker? I mean, what do we, what do we like? What do we dislike there? This is going to give everybody um, incredible pleasure. This is a story of perseverance, belief in times when things aren't going your way, a couple of different organizations uh, gave up on him, uh, and luckily he landed in ours. Our recipient and our all-star, who's going to make us unbelievably proud, is Joe Mantiply. Okay. Yeah, no, absolutely excited for Mantiply. He's been solid out of the pen and like middle reliever and hold situations. Obviously, his ERA is phenomenal. Like you said, he's only given up one bomb, which is a lot of the big time problems with bullpen guys is they'll come in and just allow an absolute tater. Um, so that's awesome for him. I'm excited for him that I think it's a little bit telling of where we are currently in the D backs organization that our only all-star is a middle reliever, you know, that's a little uh, concerning. So happy for him, but concerned for the team as a whole and the direction they're heading, but you know, We'll see. I think I think the other guys, you know, are true quote unquote all stars like Cattell Marte, obviously having a bit of a down year, so he's not going to get it. But you know, uh, I'm not worried about that. Same as Zach Allen, not worried about that. Just because they didn't get the selection this year doesn't mean that they're not the true or traditional sense all stars for the team. But happy for Mantiply. Yeah, I think I think probably one of those guys gets the nod of Mantiply isn't the year having the year that he's currently having, in truth, which is just on historic. Um, MLB wise, I think uh, his left-handed pitching with that left-handed pitchers, like not giving up a walk is like literally top seven seasons all time or whatever, whatever his current consecutive inning is. I think he was at like 49 last time I checked. Am I, but that might be low balling him, honestly, like he's been absurdly good for us. Um, but I'm with you. And I also think it's tough when you see that the starting right side of the infield for the NL is two former D-backs in <laughs> Jazz Chisholm and Paul Goldschmidt. Like, what the fuck is, like, you know, sorry for our younger listeners there, but um, that's tough. Oh, yeah. That's a tough pill Dude. to swallow, honestly. And especially, I mean, Goldie, Goldie never got any love when he was on the D-backs, and that's why it's kind of hilarious to see how much love he's getting. Well-deserved love and well-deserved MVP but all I'm, all I'm getting this as an Arizona sports fan is if Goldie was on the Cardinals his entire career, he would already be a first ballot Hall of Famer before this, like three years ago, and would have won the MVP twice as well. Yeah, I'm he would have beat he would have beat McCutcheon both those times. Yeah, was it McCutcheon twice that he lost? It was, or it was at least McCutcheon once, I think. But okay. I th- I believe, I'm forgetting when the other one was, to be fair. But, yeah, like two times he came in second. And, you know, for how much press he's receiving this year, which, you know, well-deserved, like I said, it's just tough. It's just tough. And well, Q's, you, you know what's funny is, like you said, the the left middle of the infield is the uh... – is XD backs for the NL starting all-star roster. And that doesn't even account for the fact that another XD back was considered a, a snub and would have also been in that game. And that's Brandon Drury. So it's just, Brandon it's tough Drury. being in Arizona sports. Oh my God. What a freaking, could you imagine if the infield was literally Goldie jazz, Kettle Marte and Brandon Drury right now? 
That would be we'd, insane. We'd probably, we'd probably find a way to mess it up, but yeah, that'd be really cool. Yeah, I mean, the odds that all those guys live up to their current potential being on the D-backs, just as an Arizona sports fan, seems probably unlikely. They like they probably all would have been bust or having like career worst years. But just, you know, that's kind of crazy to think about, honestly. And not that Christian Walker isn't like dominating the home run race. Um, I wish he could hit better in clutch situations or with runners on for sure. But I think that's, you know, honestly, another mark against Tori Lovello more than Christian Walker, in my opinion. Um, but, um, yeah, and then you got Alec Thomas. Dude, Alec Thomas looks like a stud. And then also, just real quick, I know we're kind of going long. Corbin Carroll gets called up to AAA, bro. First game, dinger and a web gem. I mean, is this guy getting called up this year? Are we and, – and or, like, with how good Alec Thomas is playing in center field, they have Corbin Carroll as a better center fielder than Alec Thomas based on the scouting reports I've seen. Like, what do you think about that? And who is the odd man out in the outfield at the moment? And or do yeah, you actually think Corbin Carroll gets called up at any point this year? Or is, are they just, you know, being classic D-backs and saying, we're the no-fun team and we'll see you next year? I mean, I think that Corbin Carroll is doing himself no favors by absolutely raking in his first game in AAA because <laughs> – you, the D-backs see that, and they're like, no, nah, it's time to go back down to double-A. You're not ready for the big times. They just want guys that absolutely suck to get called up from triple-A. So, <laughs> But, no, I, I think I think realistically <laughs> I'm hopeful that we'll see him maybe towards the end of the year once we're, like, officially, officially out of the race of anything, you know, and we're just way too far behind to even sniff any sort of success, then I think they'll, they'll bring him up. I think, unfortunately – uh, for me, that's going to be after we trade Peralta, which, again, you know, not a huge fan of that, but it seems like that's the inevitable course that's going to be taken. Um, and, I don't, you know, I don't know really – not a big outfield guy, so I'm, I'm not really well-tuned into how hard or easy it is to transition someone from different positions in the outfield. So I don't know if you're going to run a, a platoon of Thomas and – and Carol, or if you're going to try to make one of those guys switch to left field and take Peralta's old spot, if he's gone or switch one to right field, I, I don't know what they do there, but they're both obviously very good players. You know, Alec Thomas has at least had some MLB at bats. Corbin Carroll, hopefully will get some, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with that because it's, it's also not the first time they're going to run into this problem because a lot of their other prospects are all outfielders as well. So we'll see. It's very true. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting there. I think Corbin Carroll probably is the center fielder of the future. But also the way Alec Conley plays center field, like I, I guess it kind of would depend maybe on load management almost on what you do with how you play those guys. I don't think it necessarily matters per se. I think they're both just elite, elite defenders is what the scouting report grades out at. Um, It'll be interesting to see, though. Um, I agree. I don't see. I don't think we see him this year, unfortunately. But hopefully yeah, we I see. Believe that. But hopefully we see um, Tommy Henry, dude. Um, another solid start from him. Six inning pitch, seven hits, two runs, two earned run, one walk, ten Ks. One of the top pitchers for the Aces. I mean, it looks like we might be seeking some lower rotation guys. So hopefully we see one of those pitching guys soon. I just. Um, I mean, something to keep an eye on from Rule 5, which we can get into in a couple of weeks here when that starts to happen. But the D-backs draft is only a couple of days away at this point. Uh, are you excited for number two overall? Yeah, it's, it always throws me – I know it happens every year, and it always throws me off that it happens in the middle of the season because I feel like it's the only sport that does that. Yeah, it's super random. Also, it's like uh, – I believe it's Friday, actually. Yeah, I think uh, – yeah. And it looks like the contenders literally are either Jackson Holiday, son of former Rocky and Cardinal legend Matt Holiday, um, and or Drew Jones, son of former Atlanta legend Andrew Jones. So it looks like we're gonna have a good pick there, no matter what. Hopefully, um, Hazen doesn't fumble the bag. Um, we'll, we'll we'll break down those guys after. We'll see what Hazen does. Obviously, you can never predict the D backs front office. As we know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, one last thing too before we move on. Uh, 
that I don't know if you saw it. It actually ended up being surprisingly on Sports Center's top ten. I think it was number two or number three. Okay. Which I was shocked because you know D backs never get any top ten or highlights, but it was that Dalton Varsho catch, I think, in the first inning or second inning last night. Ooh. Uh it was awesome, dude. It was such a cool play. And that guy, you know, he's been struggling with his bat of late, but his defense, he just doesn't look like this elite defender, and then you see his speed. It's one of those guys where you're like, you don't look fast. How are you fast? I, I got to top that at two? Yeah, go ahead. All right, let me try. Brendan Rogers shoots one to right. Dalton Varsho. His dad Gary played in the bigs. Dalton named after his dad's teammate, Darren Dalton, sliding into the corner, somehow squeezes it before he hits the wall. However, Rockies would win. True. Yeah, dude, that guy's just a ball. Varsho's a stud, man. Um, he actually has – so since last pod, he's actually been doing really well for my fantasy team. So um, I think that catcher to outfield thing just – it seems like it has, an, it has some type of correlation there. So I don't know if it's causation or correlation. But um, him in the outfield, man, he just looks so much fresher. And like you said, he's a freak, dude. He's a freak. Um, where do you want to go to next? You want to go – Coyotes draft, or should we go Suns eight and rumors? Uh, let's go Coyotes draft, and we can finish with uh, some Suns talk. Okay, okay, let's do it. Uh, well, Coyotes had ten draft picks. It turned out in the twenty twenty two NHL draft, uh, most notably number three overall Logan Cooley, who. Apparently pairs well with Spicy Dill. Our previous number nine overall pick last year, Dylan Gunther, tore up his junior league. And with that, as we take our next step in our journey towards the Stanley Cup, I'd like to invite our GM, Bill Armstrong, to make our selection. Arizona selects from the U.S. National Development Program, Logan Cooley. And then we had we then Bill Armstrong traded up back into the top fifteen into number eleven to get another center Connor Geeky stud, and then they make another move acquiring a guy from Ottawa defender fourth left wing guy probably fringe I don't know but um. With that, we get the 29th overall pick, and we pick a 6'7 defenseman, 18 years old, 6'7. Absolute mammoth of a human being. Um, first name, Maverick. And I'm forgetting his last name. Frick, where is it? It's Maverick Lemaru. Lemaru. And that's the first, that was the first round right there. Um, Alec, we'll just go first round because I feel like going in – the second round and deeper might take up a little bit too much time. And the first round takes, I feel like are really high quality, honestly. Yeah. It would take up way too much time. And also like I would have to do extensive research on some of these guys I've never heard or seen play. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) So Um, Logan Cooley, what do you, what jumps out to you for Logan Cooley or Connor geeky two centers, Logan Cooley. What, who jumps out to you there? I liked the pick. Uh, I'm excited for it. Uh, you know, Bill Armstrong, trust the process. I was a little surprised, and I'm not sure if you were too, because I had heard that, you know, Shane Wright was going to go number one overall to the Canadians, and they ended up not going with him. And so I wasn't sure if then we would switch up our strategy and end up taking Shane Wright, but it seems like Bill Armstrong really liked Logan and stuck with him regardless of what happened in front of him. So, I'm hoping that works out because I think Shane Wright's also going to be pretty sick, but I also like the dedication. And Obviously, you know, Billy Armstrong saw something in Logan Cooley that he really loved and he stuck with it. So who am I to doubt that? Um, so, yeah, I liked that pick. The yeah, there, 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 Sorry, it, no, no, no. I'll just add on to that. There was, there's a few interesting rumors there. One, Shane Wright not going to the Canadians was definitely a shocker in all honesty, because he is like, he's been like the number one overall pick for like three years now. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. 
And the fact that he went fifth or sixth or four or whatever he did to the Kraken there is a total shocker, specifically because even the Devils didn't pick him. And then there were rumors, though, that um, Shane Wright told the Coyotes that he didn't want to play there. So that could be like even another reason. But also Logan Cooley, depending on what scouts you listen to, is the best play- was the best player in this draft and has the highest upside. Not that Shane Wright isn't a good player, not that the number one overall, like not that those guys aren't like great players, but Logan Cooley might have the highest upside out of all of them. And I think when you're Bill Armstrong, you have all these picks that kind of gives you some room to take the big grand slam home run swing. And Logan Cooley was the guy the whole time. Plus he seems excited to be a coyote. And I think, you know, for the type of team that Bill Armstrong and the type of culture that he wants, him and Geeky both, um, and even Lemieux, or Maverick. I just love that his name is Maverick, honestly. Um, they all kind of fit that. Big dudes. Lugan Coley could be your future first-line center, Connor McDavid type. And Geeky's a big 6'3 dude. Center, second-line def- centerman, hopefully, right behind Cooley. Um but, yeah, so those, that's kind of why I feel like we chose Cooley overall over Shane Wright, especially when it came down to just those two. But – and Shane Wright seems like a duel in all honesty. I don't think he – I wouldn't be surprised if he became a bust. I don't know. He, I don't know about bust, but definitely I could see the tool he, aspect of he it. He literally – like, he gives off um, Bo Callahan vibes from draft day. Where, like, you don't get to see future into the movie, but, like, the whole time they're, like, thinking, like, yeah, this guy might be a bust. Like, that's, that was literally my first impression of Shane Wright when I started, like, the scouting report of, like, the Coyotes, like, scout draft season. That was my impression is this dude's, like, this guy reminds me of draft day movie Bo Callahan. An interesting comparison, but I like it. So, yeah, Not- what do you like about, what do you like about Geeky, Maverick? Geeky, I actually didn't know a ton about Geeky. I'd read a little bit of the scouting reports on him, but first impression honestly is that he just looks like a hockey player he's got that flow um i also like that he's from winnipeg so you got that like winnipeg jets coyotes connection there um i was a little you know curious you know backing sorry drafting centers back to back like that i mean obviously you need different lines so it's not like you only need one but i don't know if that's a a a usual thing that happens if it's just take the best guy available or if you're drafting for specific position players you know um, like you do maybe in, you know, our fantasy football or baseball drafts, but I, I like them a lot. Um, we'll see how they, how they pair those two. We'll also see how long it takes for any of these guys really to even see time on the NHL ice. Cause that process can really take a while. I think my biggest takeaway, uh, the biggest draft success, I think without having seen any of them play, um, is the is the Maverick draft? That's the one that we I think we traded up for that right without giving up Jacob Chitrin was like the concern that we were gonna have to trade him away for that pick. We ended up not doing that, and then we drafted Maverick, who sick name like you said six seven defenseman. Basically, we're looking to replace you know the hole in our hearts that was Martin Hansel, which he seems like that guy, and then uh, you know. His mom and dad had that little uh, little tongue action on live TV, which was awesome to see. So, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, just when you go down that list of first-rounders, Cooley, Geeky, and Maverick. I mean, talk about just great names just in general. Um, the, the trade that they did was uh, the Geeky. They traded up for Geeky. I will say um, the NHL draft, basically the best way to think about it is the baseball draft but you're only choosing from high school players. So there's no guys that are just going to necessarily like be college ready or like have three years in college and only like a year or two, like a year in the minors and then they're ready to go. Um, it's usually like you're drafting an 18 year old and they're going to take a year or two at least. And then maybe three, three or four, probably three, but could be four to like really like overbake and make sure that they're really ready for the NHL game. And what most of that has to do with is truly that being an 18 year old, like you could see some of those guys, like they look 18 years old in the way that they're just like, not man. They're not, a, it's not a men. 
person yet. You know what I mean? Like they haven't. Yeah. Not that not that they're not like you know full like. Not that their hormones aren't crazy right now because it's being teenagers, but they they there's a bit, massive difference between like being a six one one seventy player who's eighteen. And then in the NHL, that same person after four years, five years of like weight training and like getting stronger and like obviously playing at a little bit of higher level has something to do with it. But most of the time, it's really just like getting bigger. Um, and so it's a, yeah. And like Logan Cooley will probably pay, play in three years, 20 to 30 pounds heavier than he is today. Like six, seven Maverick. Um, he's, he looks like a skinny guy right now. I mean, he, you're hoping that that dude in four years looks something like Zidane Chara, and is just dominating people and pushing people over. One thing I loved on his stats that came across the screen was that he had 69 minutes and penalties and he led his league, which is like, could be a few things, but if Bill Armstrong picked him in the first round, to me, it means they think he's a tough guy and he's going to be a bully on the ice. Cause that's the type of guy that, not only Bill Armstrong drafted at the Blues, but you can kind of see he's trying to make the Coyotes a tougher, bigger, more physical team. Kind of like, kind of how you saw the Avalanche put the push the Lightning around at times um, on the defensive side, and the Lightning couldn't get too much going all the time. Lightning, you know, really skilled players, but Kale McCarr's just ability to like push people around and you know that type of thing. Like, so that's the type of team that Bill Armstrong. It's trying to build. Does that make sense that I explained that well? No, yeah, you definitely did. And it's crazy, like you mentioned, you know, guys putting on weight and get, you know, when you're 18, it's like, yeah, you're going through puberty a little bit, but you haven't hit that, you know, like you said, that man strength where you are yeah, fully minted a- and developed. And like uh, Maverick is, like you said, six foot seven. He's, I think he's listed at 198 or 197 pounds, which is just insane. Like that's just a slender man. And he's definitely going to, need to and will put on a bunch of weight there. So there's a lot of room for him to get bigger and stronger for sure. A hundred percent. Like you're, you're putting him on the Marcus shot special go mad and like five by five, like a hundred percent, dude. Like that guy's going to put on like potentially 40 pounds of muscle before he hits the NHL ice. Um, and geeky. And so geeky was the, the Chitron trade specifically they were talking about. And the reason why you would take two centers here. And specifically, Geeky was projected to go number eight, number nine overall, and he kind of slipped. And I think what Bill Armstrong saw, because they had to scout so many guys just because they didn't know who was going to be where exactly, and they had all that huge run of second rounders. I think I talked about this before, but, like, there is between, like, 21 and, like, 45 was, like, not that significant. And so from that, I think once they saw Geeky slip, they were like, fuck, yeah, we want that guy because there was a ton of rumors of Coyotes guys Coyote scouts at Geeky Games, and I think they just saw the opportunity there and they took advantage of it. Um, obviously, having a ton of picks, like I said, they ended up drafting ten dudes, five forwards, five defensemen, and so it's it looks beautiful. Bill Armstrong's definitely you know proven himself. Even last year, one of our second round picks is already playing meaningful minutes. Looks like he's going to be a top four defenseman for the Coyotes for the next decade in JJ Mosier. Um, and then Gunther, like I said, number nine overall is tearing it up. Um, so I think that's I think that's enough to say about it for now, though. Um, obviously, we can go deeper dive at some point, but there's also the development camp up in um, the Ice Den this week for those who want to check that out Monday through Friday. A lot of the prospects are up at the Ice Den um, doing a little development camp for the Coyotes. Like Gunther's there. I think most. I think almost all the draft picks would be there, um, and so. If any boys want to see some potential future Hall of Famers, they're all going to be skating at your local Ice Arena. Is uh, is your uh, doppelganger going to be there watching while he's recovering from his fracture, or is uh, he not going to be making an appearance? Uh, you know my guy, Clayton Color, dude. He's he's all about the team at all times, and he knows that his future line mates in three to four years here, when he's in his prime and he's going to be scoring eighty goals a season. It's going to be because, <laughs> because Logan Cooley's his centerman and Dylan Gunther is his right winger. And they're going to be freaking massacring the league on the way to the Stanley Cup 2026. And that just is what it is. And the thing is, Coyotes have that culture, man. And Clayton Keller's one of the leaders in the locker room. And so there's, without a doubt, he's sitting there 
He's talking to the boys. He's getting them ready to go for 2026. No doubt about it. All right. And so with that, Aiden, bro. Phoenix Suns, dude. They, uh, you know, this is what happens when you blow a game seven lead um, or three one lead, I guess you should say instead. And you lose game seven by 40 points or where it felt like a bajillion. Um, James Jones has had quite the offseason. KD, no news for weeks now. But it seems like if he's leaving Brooklyn, he's coming to the Suns. But with the Malcolm Brogdon trade actually occurring this weekend, because Brogdon had to come back from vacation to get his physical, the Indiana Pacers now are in position to go after the guy that they've been coveting for a few years now, DeAndre Ayton. But talking about midseason trade last year, potentially for Sabonis, which we both talked about at one point, it was rumors. It's been confirmed since. We both thought that was a dumbass trade. Still think it's pretty much a dumbass trade. But then again, you look at this dumbass trade that they're trying to feed down the Suns gauntlet here for Miles Turner. And maybe that's it for DeAndre. And I just what do you what do you think of what's going on in the rumors today spread by Windhorse on ESPN? The rumor mill has begun. Is this just more smokescreen for the Nets? Slash, what's going on with this Nets trade? Like, what do you think is holding it up? Because it doesn't seem like anybody's available. And yet, Kevin Durant said, get me to Phoenix. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. I think that, I don't know, let's, let's tackle this one at a time, right? So, the Nets trade, what's holding that up? I personally am hopeful, I don't know if this to be the case, but I'm hopeful that James Jones has decided to pull the reins back a little bit and said, whoa, you know, we're not going to just gut our entire team for KD in hopes of having him, you know, healthy for a few years to make a run at the championship. And so hopefully Sean Marks is trying to hold his ground to get as many of the picks as he can to get Mikhail and Cam out of it or whoever they're looking at down there. So I'm hoping it's just, you know, James Jones playing the long game of, well, you know, I can wait all day. My team isn't falling apart as of yet. We'll, you know, we'll see how that progresses in the next couple of days here, but I'm hoping he just tries to bring the value down where it's like, yeah, KD is a hall of famer. KD is worth a lot, but we're not going to give up Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson and five draft picks for this guy. You know, waiting to see what the market has to say about that. In terms of the Aiton situation. So I saw that now with the, uh, with the physical being cleared, they have the room available to offer Deandre Aiton close to a max, not quite a max. I think what it's like 26, five, 27. Um, yeah, but they, they could, um, if they are, if the Pacers are able to trade like one of their guys that it's expiring, has an expiring deal, which wouldn't be too difficult, then they would have the actual max cap space. Yeah. Uh, but so again, unless... they, can only, they can only offer the deal. The Suns could still be like, okay, fine. Like, we'll match yeah, it. so that's, like, that's the thing. It's like, you know, I don't know if this rumor mill is from the Pacers camp where it's like, hey, we're interested in DeAndre Ayton. We're going to try to make this happen. Versus, a, oh, we talked to both sides and, you know, they like this situation because that would be far more concerning. You know, wh- whatever you feel about DA, whether you're like, oh, he should get the max, he shouldn't, he irritates me sometimes, he you know, I love, like, whatever you feel, you have to put emotions aside and just realize that if you are truly going to get rid of him and not have him on your team next year, he's the number one overall pick, he's 23 years old, he's shown vast improvements Every season, he's a defensive juggernaut. He can score. He's developing like a little mid-fadeaway kind of shot that's almost unguardable. You can't just get nothing in return. If you're full on the train of let's dump Aiton and get somebody else, you know, I disagree, but that's fine. But you have to get somebody. So letting him just walk is not an option. But then at the same time, a sign and trade that, you know, the likes have been proposed in this so-called rumor mill is essentially the same thing. Miles Turner is absolute trash. He's also on an expiring contract himself. So we'd basically be having him as a loner center for one year, which is a huge downgrade. And then we'd have to be in the same situation as we are with Aiden right now, where he's going to be demanding $25 million next year. So I just don't understand why anyone in the Phoenix organization would consider something like this. So I'm hoping it's just 
smoke from the Pacers and, or like you said, the Nets, but it does have me concerned. I don't know. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I, I almost, I mean, yeah, literally retweet, dude. Um, I don't know what else to really say on top of that, except for the eight, eight has no leverage. Like, <laughs> so I, I, to me, like nothing has changed whatsoever, except for deadlines might be like, soon so like even this kd net situation like can we get kd on the team or not like the deadline for that happening could just be like instead of it being like oh like whenever the nets feel like it it's gonna be like no listen like we're signing a and by like this day or like and because there is no other trade like there is no trade for kd like if you listen to any of this stuff out there it's like oh nets don't really have that many trade offers like and then you see some of the things that they were trying to trade for. And it's like, you guys wanted LeBron, AD, and three picks for Kevin Durant. Like, I, like there's, there's no way any of that's, like, legitimate news or, like, well-sourced. And I believe that someone was told that. And so they're like, yeah, I mean, I'll definitely report this. But to me, that's all the Nets trying to drive up the value for KD, which seems like it's clear to everybody that Kevin Durant wants to go to one place. And he might go to, like, maybe one or two other places. Like, then you kind of look at, like, well, if the Celtics are looking at Jalen Brown in some picks, like, would you do that? And, like, I could see how that could be, like, more enticing for the Nets. But, like, the Celtics aren't doing that without KD being like, yeah, I'm definitely down. And he doesn't seem like he wants to do that. And then Miami, like, you know, and so KD didn't go to the Nets and say, like, I want a trade anywhere. He went and said, like, I want a trade to the Suns or, like, Miami. But Miami can't – their best package is with Bam, and they can't do that with Ben Simmons. And so that's kind of why, like, the Utah Suns-Nets trade, where, like, the Nets end up with Donovan Mitchell from that trade – and Aiden or and um, Mikhail Bridges or Cam Johnson, one of those guys. It's like that's that's actually a sick deal for the Nets. Like I don't know what they're doing honestly that makes any sense either. Because like if you keep an upset Kevin Durant and an upset Kyrie Ir- Irving, like obviously maybe that does that stuff does smooth over, but uh, more realistically, like it doesn't. And then you're forced to like trade Kevin Durant to the Suns in January when he's like, no, fuck you guys. Like I'm, I'm out and I'm going here and like, I don't care. Um, so that makes no sense to me from the Nets perspective, but for the Suns, it's like, I, the only thing I see with the Aiden, just to like reiterate is that the deadline might be coming up sooner for all this. So like by the end of this week, like we're going to kind of know, like are the Suns keeping Aiden or are they getting Kevin Durant? Um, and again, like they don't necessarily have to correlate, but if you trade Aiden, you're, there's no way that you're not getting Kevin Durant because then you just make the team like so inferior, and it would be like that's James Jones, like get out of town, kind of like that, what you were kind of saying in Korea. But, but doesn't that just sound like exactly what would happen to Phoenix basketball? You know what's funny is if Ryan McDonough was the GM of this organization, one hundred percent. But I think like. One thing to not forget is James Jones took a 19-win Suns team that had Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton as the number one overall pick, which, like, who knows what exactly happened there considering McDonough got fired two months after that pick was made. Um, he took basically, like, those two pieces and he drafted Mikhail and Cam Johnson and, like, and then got CP3 to come here because he hired Monty Williams and gave instant credibility to an organization that hadn't had any in close to a decade. And obviously, Book not wanting to leave at all comes with that. But at the end of the day, like, James Jones has been the biggest agent of change for creating the Suns team that currently exists. And so I'm not willing to say anything definitively about James Jones until we see where all the dominoes fall. But I definitely stand with you, and I like – there's 60% of the scenarios that are out there look so bad. They're unbelievable. 
which is why on DHP Twitter, I'm like, if you're not giving Kevin Durant, team bus trip, we're going to Sedona, find a shaman, we'll, we'll have a fucking journey together. We're all going to become, we're going on like, you know, and then you just fix all the problems. And if it takes Chris Paul to own up that whatever, if it takes Monty Williams to own up to whatever, CP or Aiden to own up to whatever, Book to own up to whatever, Mikhail, like the team is really close. And if it takes James Jones and Robert Sarver going up there and, you know, potentially human sacrifice occurring, not actually, this is just for legal reasons. It's a complete joke, but like whatever you got to do, you don't just trade Aiden for nothing, which is what like would happen if, but then again, James Jones been known to pull the rabbit out the hat. We didn't expect CP3 to come, um, which is why I feel like Kevin Durant is likely. But if the Nets owners are just pissed and like, screw you, like maybe he doesn't come until January. But if you're James Jones and you're as good of a a GM as we think you are, he's going to pull something off here that's going to be dope. And I guess – there's two ways to look at it. It's like current signs. And then like what you said, like Arizona sports in general, if it's Arizona sports in general, they're just going to mess it up like hundred percent. And it's going to be awful. And like fun couple of years, boys, but new, new era sons. Like, I think that they're going to be able to pull something off that makes the team better. And I don't think that James Jones makes a lot of these moves that he makes unless he like, unless he thinks Kevin Durant is going to be a Phoenix son or he's going to get somebody really good. Or he thinks that – or just whatever. Like, I just don't – I don't see him as, like, a wish guy. Like, oh, we're going to wish this happens. I think he's more of a, like, we're doing this, and this is, like, how we're going to get to where we need to go. Which is why I think Mikhail Bridges is what is holding up the Nets trade very specifically. Because I think he realizes that if Mikhail Bridges goes to the Nets and it's just KD, Booker, CP3, and the boys, that is – much more fringe title contention than what a team with Mikhail Bridges would look like. And, or maybe depending on if, uh, depending on a few other things, you know, cause you could also trade like we've talked about before, Crowder, Shamet, Dario Saric, and a few other expiring deals. And all, I don't care about these draft picks, dude, give them all the picks that they could accept. Like uh, Suns first round picks will be in the high twenties or even 30, like the entire time Booker is in his prime, which is however many picks that we're trying to give them. So I guess it's just a long-winded saying, well, long-winded way of saying, I think everything will be fine, but I just think a lot of what's going on is garbage. And I, I kind of, I don't know that I expect Kevin Durant to be a son, but I think it's better than 50, 50. And the nets, I just, if I'm the nets, I don't really know what they're doing. To be honest, yeah, like I don't know. So, I, that's a lot to my, throw at you, but sorry. no, my my only my only thing, like, I have a couple points. Like my only thing is the Nets and even the whole rumor mill from all sides, whether it's Suns insiders versus ESPN national media, they made it clear that the Nets don't want DeAndre Ayton in a package. That's not a guy that they're interested in. So it's not like DA being on the books is holding up this KD deal. So my concern is like, well, why do we need to worry about figuring out what to do with Aiton in order for this KD thing to happen? This just seems like the perfect setup for, okay, get Aiton off our books for absolutely nothing. And then also somehow find a way to muck up the KD situation. And now, like you said, we're a team without our number one pick star center and we don't get KD. So that's why I just don't understand. Like, it's not like the Aiton thing needs to be figured out before the KD thing. Uh, no, number but, one. No, no, I think you're right. I think you are right with that. Um, but I, I think that there, if Kevin Durant comes to the Phoenix Suns, I think that there is a certain way that the Suns would like to play that I think Aiton becomes more expendable in that situation for like to have extra money to use for like the type of. To, to bolster, like, Kevin Durant's addition to the team. I think that's what I would just say in response. I also think James Jones, like, would just straight up resign before he lets, like, his career get tainted by Robert Sarver. Yeah, but, that, yeah, that's the other thing is you don't know with Robert Sarver and the team, you never know who's who he's actually letting pull the strings or, like, how hindered James Jones is because – 
you know, it'd be nice if Sarver was just like, hey, you know what you're doing, go do your thing. But history tells us that Sarver loves to be heavily involved for some reason because the guy knows nothing about basketball. The only thing he knows how to do is to (laughs) be a racist piece of shit that sexually assaults people. Um, Yeah, for legal reasons, allegedly. Allegedly, sorry, yes, allegedly. But we here at the DHP are an anti-Sarver podcast. We we Um, most certainly are, allegedly, for legal reasons. (laughs) um the other thing i think you mentioned like stuff pulling up the katie deal i hope it's mikhail that's holding it up because you know there is a lot of people you know i know we've talked about how shitty of a place twitter can be but there's a lot of people even in son's twitter who loved mikhail and are just so ready to see him go because you know the grass is always greener they're like yeah whatever it takes to get kd like katie's in a hall of famer first ballot he's one of the best players of our generation but I really don't think gutting this young core is the right move. And if James Jones can find a way to get, you know, I've said I'd be fine not getting KD if we keep the core together and just build off of that. But if James Jones does find a way to get KD here without gutting the core, I think that's also like a best case scenario type. So I'm hoping you're right that it's the whole, you know, we want McHale and James Jones is a little hesitant on that front. Hopefully you never know, but I don't know, man. Like, like, do you? I'm just curious what you think. You know, I'm obviously biased in my opinions. We all kind of are, but do you think that there's any credibility to this? These like Miles Turner side and trade rumors, or that's just wishful thinking from the Pacers' part? If James Jones would do something like that, that would concern me in terms of his thought process moving forward. You know what I mean? The only way that I could see, I guess, the answer is like. I don't think any sign-in trade really will capture the correct value of DeAndre Ayton. Like, especially if you're someone who thinks very highly of Ayton, like you do. And I think most people should. I think he has, like, a weird valuation. Just, I think people value him so differently. But, like, regardless, I don't think you're going to get, like... A sign-in trade is not, like, beneficial to the Suns, really. Um, And that's kind of why I'm saying, like, I I don't see that happening unless for some reason James Jones really thinks Miles Turner will be an upgrade. Like I the only way I see that happening, I guess I should say, is if Kevin Durant is like a son next year. That is the only way. Otherwise it makes no sense to do. Um and then like but, you said, but even, but even if he year, is even, even like if he's said, a son next year, like it's not like Miles Turner is such a better compliment than DA. Like, you know, that I don't think that's a a net positive by any means. Yeah, I, I don't, I would agree with that as well. Um, I don't see how that, that's what I mean. Like, I just, I don't see that as likely at all. Truthfully, I could see miles Turner is just the people, like the person everyone's using because like, that's the thing that matches up salary rise the most based on like what a sign in trade would have to look like and along like the rules and like what Aiden's deal would look like and stuff like that. Um, and so I, I don't see that happening truthfully. And like, the only way I see it happening is uh, that specific reasoning is like James Jones was like, Miles Turner would be a better fit with Kevin Durant for this year. But I, I just, no, I don't see that as likely. And I'd be kind of baffled if it did happen. Um, simply because the only, the other way that people using Aiton's current situation in the sun's advantage would be to like garner more things that would make the Kevin Durant trade easier and easily able to keep a guy like McHale. And so, and whether that be like Aiden and Crowder to the Pacers for something like Tyrese Halliburton, or I, I not, and not that that's likely because it looks like Halliburton. And so I guess the long and short of it is like, no, I don't know what would make that make sense. But the only thing that would definitely make that make sense is like, oh, James Jones, like, yeah, Katie's on the team. We got to move some shit around. That's the only way. But even then, I still don't see how that's like a positive. And so that's what I mean. Like, I just feel like this is a lot of baloney. And also the Pacers owner is like known for not being a guy to like put teams in difficult decisions like that. So I don't really necessarily see. I guess that that's like another thing to add is like the the Pacers owner doesn't put other teams in difficult decisions when it comes to their free agents, especially looking at like the Malcolm Brogdon situation that's been brought up 
um, where like they had the opportunity to just sign him outright, but they didn't, and they ended up doing like a trade with Milwaukee. Um, like it could even just be more Nets baloney of like, oh, here's this fake deadline. Now you have to get us. And that's what I mean. It's just like if you do the DA deal, you lose a lot of leverage for Kevin Durant. You lose like almost yeah, all then of you, it. Yeah, if you if you do this DA deal before figuring out the Kevin Durant stuff, like you then literally have to get Kevin Durant or bust. Like yeah, and it's like why would you ever put yourself in that situation? And that's and that's kind of like what it all comes back to. And I think I personally think James Jones is fine with DeAndre and being on the team. Like, I don't think he's necessarily like, yeah, like, fuck you, DeAndre. Like, sorry for my language for our listeners. Um, but what I mean is, like, I, I, I don't think – I think James Jones is completely fine paying eight in a max contract if the Indiana Pacers are like, yeah, we're going to give eight in a max contract and KD doesn't seem to be moving at all. I think James Jones is like, okay, well, we, we played our cards. We got, ha- we got dealt the hand we dealt. We played our guards the best we, can, we could. And we're just going to run it back because that's the only way to keep the value of everybody here. And everybody's a year older. And it's like McHale and Cam. It's just kind of like you kind of arrive at certain destinations depending on like what moves. And if KD doesn't move, then the only thing that makes sense is keeping everybody. Truthfully. Like, and I would be surprised if it if that didn't happen you know what i mean yeah, like and i know you're no. on that train as well but it, it's truthfully like if deandre aiden isn't on the team and you don't get upgraded by kevin durant coming how did you get better how is you how is your team any better that would that would be the most disastrous offseason you could imagine it wouldn't make any sense to do that and so um, obviously, I'm sure James Jones is possibly thinking like, damn, I wish you got some bonus because then you, know, you could put the some bonus in the Nets deal for Kevin Durant possibly. I don't know. I have a feeling that James Jones is even surprised by the lack of like teams wanting Aiton in truth because not that not for any reason other than like, you know, DeAndre Aiton is 23 years old and is probably like, I mean, he had one great playoff one run and one maybe not so great playoff run. Um, but or playoff series, I should say, because that first round was awesome, as we've talked about. And so I, I just think there's a lot of moving pieces. It's tough to tell specifically. If I had to bet on something happening, I don't know exactly what that would be. But it's just like James Jones isn't making the team worse this offseason. He's either keeping it or he is um, getting Kevin Durant, truthfully, or like a player Kevin Durant's caliber. I don't know who that would be off the top of my head. But, like, I don't think he gives a sh- – I don't think he cares about how – if Aiden wants to leave or not. I don't think he cares how Monty Williams and CP3 and Aiden have been getting along. I think he literally would, like, tell everybody he – would, he would, like, rent out a compound in Sedona and have every, the whole team come and, like, literally have, like, a ceremony to, like, make things go better. And then you're left – if you're the Nets, it's like, who's taking KD knowing that he, only, he wants to be a son – and he's 34 with four or 32 with four years left on his deal. I mean, that could be even a net negative. So sorry, there's just a lot there, but I, I think there's only really a few outcomes that make any sense. And in truth, if you're the nets, like, I don't know what they're doing over there. I'm like, now I'm really thinking through all the scenarios and it's like, there aren't that many to be had. No, you're, I think, I think you're exactly right. Um, it'll be interesting to see. And, and what especially, happens. And especially because as time goes by this off season, everybody like it's not as like the emotions of that loss aren't as fresh. And even if people are still holding like better feelings or whatever, like time heals most wounds. And like that team was the title favorite. And if campaign or Landry Shamet decided to play in any of those series, um, we probably are in the conference finals. So like, I think it's it just it's more than just DeAndre Ayton's fault for that stuff, and so I think it, I think you could make it. I think you could sing Kumbaya and get over it. Um, so I guess sorry for the long windedness, but I just, yeah, dude, I had an epiphany. I was like, damn, there's only like three options here that make any sense if you're James Jones, and James Jones has proven that he'll make the right decisions. I mean, look, I I hope you're right. It's just it's a matter of whether or not you know. He's the one actually pulling the strings, how limited he is, 
there's a lot of a lot of factors that play into it. I think you're right though. I think the game seven loss was obviously brutal. I was there. It was devastating. It was terrible. It was a waste of everyone's time and money. But you know, I think if you look at it big picture, that was just a that was a a fluke. And flukes happen. They're not great. That's not what we wanted or expected. But it's like if you run back obviously we've lost JaVale and some other pieces but like you run that same team back again in a seven game series against the Mavs no fucking chance it was just a fluke so it's well, not I, like I, I don't I don't think it exposed uh, you know a lot of people were mad about it and I get it but I don't think it exposed some you know huge hole that we just need to fill it's like it was just a fluke yeah you can always try to improve but it's like you said you either try to improve with getting someone like Katie or you run it back. There's no alternative that makes any sense whatsoever. You can't get worse this off season. Well, and I think, and I definitely think that narrative that you just pushed there is part of the Kumbaya moment. And it's like, are you going to let this fluke define this team in the next, like blah, blah, blah. Or are you going to use this as the opportunity? And like, we all know Monty's all about those like little idioms and like, you know, high character guys and, um, you know, everyone has bad moments, especially in a game seven that brutal. Like, TA wasn't the only guy who quit on the team. Like, even if you want to say that, and I don't think that's true. Um, you know, all these guys are high level competitors, they're getting beat down, knowing they should be demolishing these guys. Even like listening to the Mikhail talk, he's like, We, well, yeah, we should have beat them. Like, what the heck going on? Like, it just, we just couldn't. It was weird. It's basically what he said. And it's like, okay. And so, from all that, I think that just – yeah, that's why media is so weird, man. I just think in a month, like, either KD's on the team or we ran it back. So, I hope you're right. But, you know, if that's not the case and we do go through with this sign-in trade, the uh, one good news is that the pit hole that is Sun's Twitter has found a great way to cope by trying <laughs> to convince themselves already that, uh, that uh, you know – we are going to get someone that's just as efficient as DeAndre eight, and it's not going to be a problem. <laughs> oh, my God. That tweet was so funny. 61% true shooting percentage miles bridges, and Sabonis is the reason why his rebounding numbers weren't as high as they could have been. That's tough. That's tough. Definitely max levels of cope on Twitter. You ready for a grinder chill guy of the week? Yes. Hit me. All right. My grinder of the week, I know you're going to love this, is uh, the one and only Josh Rojas. So, you know, I'll, I'll put a little caveat in there. He did have a bad error on Sunday that, that brought in a run. So that wasn't great, but you know, you got to look at the picture as a whole and he's been absolutely monstrously raking over the last couple of weeks. His batting average is up to, I think 283 now at this point, which is like a 40 point swing in a matter of weeks as uh, Ben so kindly pointed out to me at the game yesterday. So I'm crediting him with this fact. He's the number one player for fantasy baseball the last seven days, more points mm -hmm. than anyone, Aaron judge, Mike Trout, you name it. Um, and it just goes to show, you know, even when you're struggling a little bit and you might be slumping, you just got to grind it out and, things start going your way. So Josh Rojas playing much better, playing like a legit third baseman for us. So grinder of the week. I love that. Also shout out to uh, Ben for accepting. He might have slipped on his uh, Josh Rojas being a potential fantasy superstar potential there. Like you said, number one last week when I had him on, when I had him third at third base early in the season, I was getting pretty ridiculed. And uh, I, I said, don't ever pick him up if you don't want him. Maybe someone should have picked him up last week. Maybe someone would have finally beat me, not named the commish in fantasy baseball this week, if they would have picked up Josh Rojas. So that's beautiful. I love that. Rally God, chill guy of the week. My chill guy of the week is none other than Coyote's number three overall pick, Logan Cooley, Cool Ranch, Dorito, going to pair exceptionally well with Spicy Dill. Um, I say all this to say that Logan Cooley could be the best player that's ever played for the Coyotes franchise. Wow. And Yes. And the reason why I point that out specifically is when asked what Logan Cooley's best case scenario was to the NHL scouts, the athletic NHL wrote, Logan Cooley's best-case scenario, a franchise number one center. When I posed the questions to scouts, who has the potential in this draft to be an NHL star? 
The answer is almost always Logan Cooley. What does that mean? Not only does Bill Armstrong believe in this guy, a guy who drafted 11 of the 23 total players on the Stanley Cup winning St. Louis Blues in 2019. For, for people who don't realize how absurd that is, that is absolutely absurd, including their best player in Tarasenko, who was not a top five pick. He was picked 15, surrounded by a bunch of dudes in his draft who are nobodies in the first round. And so I say all that to say that Luke and Cooley is a stud. He's going to be a franchise superstar. He's, he's a monster. And so chill guy, not only does he play hockey, but he's also going to be the reason my previous chill guy of the week, Austin Matthews, comes to the Arizona Coyotes. And the Arizona Coyotes launch a parade down Mill Ave for at some point this decade. At some point this decade. 2026 to 2030 is going to be the prime of a lot of these young guys. And there's a lot to like, man. There's a lot to like. Huge couple tweets, too. Also, shout out DHB Twitter. One to the fabulous Bruner for a tweet that I got specific, ripped specifically from him because he wasn't getting enough love. Absolute gem of wisdom there about the Angels. And then the... Um, D-Bat, or the Coyotes community there for uh, pumping up Spicy Dill, Logan Cooley tweet. We appreciate you guys. And so that's that's it, man. That's it. I love it, dude. That was an excellent pod. Always fun. Always. Always. Is there, is there anything that we didn't hit? No, dude. I think we hit everything. I think uh, it's going to be a nice little uh... – early week pod for the boys before we convene in Laguna this weekend and just, you know, fuck shit up. I love it. Excited to have the boys, man. Excited to have the boys. I'm glad we could do this early. Maybe some news will break. We could have a live pod with 12 men, 10 men on the pod. That'd be wild. Just chaos. Just chaos. <laughs> Absolute chaos. Just screaming over each other. Might need to happen, though. We'll see. We'll see. But you're the man, dude. You're the man. Crushed it always, Keeps. Dude, DHP buys the dust. 